Our text for today comes from Mark chapter 1. The beginning of the good news about Jesus the Messiah, the Son of God, as it is written in Isaiah the prophet, I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way, a voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. And so John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. The whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem went out to him, confessing their sins. They were baptized by him in the Jordan River. John wore clothing made of camel's hair uh, with a leather belt around his waist, and he ate locusts and wild honey. And this was his message. After me comes the one more powerful than I, the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. All right. Good morning, everybody. How is everyone? Excuse me while I take a drink. Good? Good for the most part? Okay. Subpar? That's an okay answer, right? It's at least if you're being truthful with me. Um, Today is the first Sunday I've been back in the speaking for two weeks, and so it's good. Uh, two weeks ago, my father-in-law, Tom Jacobs, spoke uh, when we dedicated our daughter, and last week, Ashley did a wonderful job of kicking off our series. Yeah, amen. You're allowed to clap for her. Sometimes I just clap for her in our house. She wakes up and comes down the stairs, and I give her a round of applause. That's what you're supposed to do when you're married, right? Did I get that right? Okay. I don't know. Uh, it was only women I heard saying amen. Uh, anyways, uh, she did a wonderful job of kicking off our series last week. We're calling this series New Exodus, and we're looking at a bunch of passages in the, the Gospels where Jesus enacts a new exodus. And we're asking this one question. I think this is the one predominant question in this series. And prophetically, I also think it's kind of a question that God is asking us. I know in this season of my life, it's a question that I think God is asking me. And here's the question. Ashley introduced us to it last week, but here it is. What is Jesus leading you out of? I'll just wait there for a beat. What is Jesus leading you out of? Because this is something I believe wholeheartedly. Jesus wants to lead each and every one of us. He wants to lead each and every one of us. And he wants to lead us somewhere, correct? That is the definition of being led. And he wants to lead us out of our sin. He wants to lead us out of our dysfunction. He wants to lead us out of our pain, our insecurity. But the engine or the movement of that leadership on Jesus's part is not um, heavy-handed. The engine or the movement of that leadership is grace. It's love. The engine of it is not our effort or our own ability. Have you ever tried to do anything under your own steam and failed miserably? in your life. God's love and grace are the power that enable us to move from where we are to where Jesus would lead us to. He's already out in front. And so to be a follower of Jesus is often simply about cultivating an awareness of where Jesus is leading us. You ever thought of that? It's just about having enough uh, wherewithal, right? And clearing out enough space in our lives and in our calendar and bringing the level of the noise of our lives down just enough. And I know that's really hard, but bring it down just enough 
to maybe pay attention to where it is that Jesus is leading us. Because Jesus is always leading us, if you're a follower of Jesus in this place, out of your sin. Hopefully there's a progression there. Sometimes that sin looks like being led out of our anger and more towards a posture of peace. Sometimes it looks like being led out of a critical or judgmental mind and becoming a person who blesses everyone we kind of see rather than criticizing them. Could you imagine what a powerful idea it is to move out of your more critical, uh, analytical mind and into one that kind of walks around with blessing on the top of your dome, right? That'd be good, wouldn't it? Imagine that young girl who cuts you off on her way to the university on a Tuesday morning, uh, going too fast. If you didn't, if you could say something to yourself like, and I have never experienced this living two blocks from College Hill, um, if you could say something like, bless her heart, she must have a biology exam that she's nervous about, right? <laughs> that, that would be a nice frame of mind to be in, wouldn't it? Uh, I don't know what thing it is in your life that Jesus is inviting you out of, what exodus that he's enacting in your life, but I want you to keep that message on the top of your mind this morning as we kind of look at uh, what it is that Jesus came to do, and we look at the biblical story and how important of a role this idea of an exodus plays in the whole of the biblical story. So as we open the scriptures, I want you to keep that question in mind, okay? What is Jesus leading you out of, okay? You can respond. See, good. This is good. Now I know you're with me. Before, you could have been sleeping. Now I know. Now, in the scriptures, there is a long tradition of God leading people out of things, isn't there? If you read any bit of the scriptures, if you're familiar with any Bible story, very often there is a travel component involved. The main example of this is obviously found in the books, book of Exodus. Moses, with his long beard and his long staff and his Charlton Heston voice, are leading the people out of the people of Israel, out of slavery in Egypt, right? So he's leading them out of slavery and captivity. Uh, just a side note, Moses was not a part of the NRA. Sorry. <laughs> it's just a Charlton Heston joke. Get off my back. Um, if you're part of the NRA, it's fine. I'm just saying. Mo just staff, right? Uh, so let's totally forget that I said anything along those lines. Golly, this is what happens when I don't speak for two weeks. I'm totally rusty, and I say ridiculous things. Anyways, so Moses is leading the people, right? The, through, uh, God is leading the people through Moses is a better way of putting that. God sends a deliverer, Moses, and he leads them out of Egypt. From slavery, you could say that the place they're going, that he's leading them, is from slavery to freedom, Right? Now, this is the definitive story, the story of the Exodus in the scriptures, is the definitive story of the people of Israel. And it's important that we kind of understand how important this story, this Exodus story is to the Hebrew mind. It's the story that they are actually commanded to repeat over and over and over, to tell to successive generations. 
Uh, this is what the Passover festival and the Paschal meal, or the meal that they eat on, on Passover, is all about. It's all a way of retelling the story of the Exodus and handing it down to the next generation. And from the perspective of the people of Israel, the Jewish people, the people who gave us the Old Testament, it is the story of the Exodus that communicates most clearly, most profoundly, what God is like. Now, this is important for us to understand this morning. If I asked you to describe a person to me, there's really two ways that you could do that, all right? If I said, what is so-and-so like? What's your, what's your spouse like? What's your best friend like? There's two ways that you could do that. The first is that you could give me a list of adjectives, right? Words that define that person. So if I asked you to describe your, your spouse, let's say, you could say, he is kind, or he is nice, or she is compassionate, or... Uh, she's a little grumpy when she wakes up in the morning, or uh, he's fastidious and he likes everything in its proper place. Whatever you want to say, that's one way to tell me about somebody, right? You give me a list of adjectives. But the truth is, is that, that that's not the best way to tell me about who someone is, is it? The best way to tell me about someone is to tell me some stories that they were involved in, isn't it? This is what we do at funerals, right? We tell stories about people because it gives us a more fully formed sense of who a person is. It's how we really get into the shoes of a person. This is why documentaries are such good. Do I have any documentary heads in the room today? You like watching a good doc? Yeah. This is why documentaries are so good. This is why the Michael Jordan documentary was so good last year. Did anybody watch the Michael Jordan documentary? Not one person? Holy buckets. Anyways, go do it. Just go watch. It's on Netflix. Just watch it. Just watch the Michael Jordan documentary. Okay, we're done. Uh, I'm not going to yell at you anymore this morning. Uh, This is why the Michael Jordan documentary was so good, because if you're a child of the 90s like me, you knew that Michael Jordan was competitive, right? That was the whole thing. But then you watch the documentary, and you're like, I didn't know he was that competitive, right? That's what you learn. Uh, he was really competitive. A story does far more to tell us something about someone, about the, the true essence of a person, than a list of adjectives does. Now, for Israel, the Exodus was the most important story they told to describe Yahweh. This is the story they told when they wanted to know, what is our God? What is Yahweh like? It was important. It was so important, in fact, that in their prayers and in their worship and in their liturgical life, they repeated this idea that that their God was the God of the Exodus. He is the one that drew the people out of Egypt. An example of this is in Psalm 81.10. In this particular psalm, God is speaking in the first person, and he says, identifying himself this way, I, the Lord, am your God who brought you up from the land of Egypt. The story has come to define who God is for the people. You see, this is why the story of the Exodus is so important. It's important to the imagination of the Hebrew people. But here is what I want you to see this morning, hopefully. For the Hebrew people, the Exodus was not just a story that God did in the past. All right? It was not just a story that occurred in the past. Because it wasn't just a story that happened one time. Because the Exodus told them about who God was in God's character, in his very nature, they knew that Yahweh was the God of the Exodus, 
He was the God of liberating people. He was the God of the burning bush. He was the, the God that led them of, in, with a pillar of cloud by day and a, a pillar of fire by night. This was the God who made a spectacle of the powers of Pharaoh when he released his people from bondage. This was not just something he did. This is someone he was. And if it's who he was, if it was central to his character, then he was going to keep on doing it. Liberation was not just a one-time thing that occurred at one time. This God has exodus in his bones if he had them, right? This is a God who defines himself by what he did for the people, but the, the, there is ongoing ramifications to that reality if the exodus is a part of his character, right? If it's a part of his character, it's who he is. Because the exodus, they believed, defined the character of God as a loving, uh, faithful, and liberating God, the people of Israel believed that this exodus was going to happen again because it was central to his being. You see, even after God delivers the Israelites out of bondage in Egypt, uh, I don't know if you know this, but they still had some problems. They had a couple of issues. They were never really able to fully realize the dreams that God had for them, right? Don't you feel like that sometimes in your own life, right? Like the dreams that God has for you or you have for yourself, you're just like 35% under where you wish you were, right? Do you ever feel like that? The, the, the things you loved and the, thought, the things you thought your life was going to look like when you were 18 just don't quite get to the point that you think they should get to. The dreams of your heart aren't fully realized. You have this subtle nagging sense that you're always living just a little bit short. Whether that's due to sinful behavior on your part, which could be a part of why you're in the situation you're in, or it has to do with just external factors, right? Life just doesn't always do what we want it to do. Things don't quite work out sometimes, right? And nothing doesn't, not everything materializes in the way we think it should, the way we want it or expected it to. Have you ever been there, right? This is where Israel lives. This is the place where Israel finds itself for most of the rest of the Old Testament, living below the line of the expectations that God and themselves, and they, God set for them, and they just didn't all ever really live up to it. But, and here's the thing, because they believed that God was an exodus-making God, they clung to this story and to the promises that he had made to them. And they believed, they believed that even though their situation was not ideal, even though everything did not work out the way that they wanted it to work out, God's character held firm. God's character held firm. I, the Lord, am your God who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. And so, in the midst of their disappointment, in the midst of their realization that life was not going according to plan, they held on to this facet, this aspect, this, the nature and character of God. And in the midst of what, in the story of the people of Israel, is some pretty bad stuff. It's exile, it's war, it's famine, it's bad. 
some prophets began to come on the scene, some great prophets, some people like Isaiah. And they began to talk about the fact that God is not going to abandon people to the current state that they find themselves in. He's not going to, he's not, he wasn't going to leave the Israelite people in the, the state of disarray. He was going to deliver his people again. He was going to call out to them in the same way he, ca- he called out to them when they were literally in bondage in Egypt. And he was going to perform a new exodus. The prophets begin to rumble about the, the possibility of this reality, that the first exodus had occurred, and that's who God was. And because that's who God was, there was another exodus that was coming. You hear it as this through line through the Old Testament as the prophets deal with the disappointment of human life, I guess you could put it. Because remember, God does not change. This is one of the fundamental tenets of the Christian faith. God does not change. And the Hebrew people said that God was primarily defined by this word. You've heard it because it's a, it's a name for a certain uh, segment of Jewish people. But he's defined by this word. The word is hesed. If you've ever heard the term Hasidic Jew, this is where we get it. Or not, they, they get it from the Bible. But uh, this word hesed is often translated in the Bible steadfast love which is a really cool word, but it can also be translated covenant faithfulness. This is a God who does not change, who does not walk away from his character as being an exodus-making God. This is a God who is steadfast and certain. This is a God that you can set your watch by, as it were. And the people held out hope. And Isaiah, specifically the prophet Isaiah, begins to write these beautiful poetic songs in beginning in uh, throughout Isaiah, but really in Isaiah chapter 40 through 55, where he really begins to dig into this idea that there is another exodus on the way, that something is happening, that God is still the same, and that he's going to work in a miraculous way again, in a powerful way again. He's going to show his strong right arm again to deliver the people. And here's what Isaiah says in Isaiah chapter 40. Beginning in verse 1, he says, Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and proclaim to her that her hard service has been completed, that her sin has been paid for, that she has received from the, hand, from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. A voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be raised up. And every mountain and hill made low, and the rough ground shall become level in rugged places, and the rugged places a, pl- a plain. And the glory of the Lord will be revealed, and all the people will see it together, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. This is a word of Exodus-making hope that Isaiah gives to the people in the midst of a difficult situation. Now, here's what's interesting for us today. The prophecy that Isaiah gives in Isaiah chapter 40 about a new exodus is the exact passage that Mark recapitulates, that he rereads to the people when he talks about John preparing the way for Jesus. So for Mark, the life of Jesus is the promise God laid out in Isaiah chapter 40 coming fully to fruition. 
This exodus is on the way. And do you know who it is? It's a person. The person is Jesus. This is what Mark says in Mark chapter 1, the beginning of the good news, the gospel, the euangelion about Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God. As it is written in Isaiah the prophet, I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare the way, a voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make straight paths for him. Now, this prophecy is talking about John, right? We are told that that John is the one of who, that is uh, this one calling out in the desert, preparing the way of the Lord, kind of putting out a clarion call or a trumpet sound or a loud cry even before Jesus arrives on the scene. Imagine you are a Jewish person, with me for just a moment. Imagine you're a Jewish person in the first century. You, we try to get back to this headspace a lot when I preach, so just go back there with me, right? You're in the first century. You're under the thumb of Roman rule, right? Things did not work out like God said they were. You're in the land that God had given you. You're in the, you're, you're in the promised land, but the promise has not come to fruition because there are, uh, there are centurions walking around making you carry their bags and they're liter- they're routinely coming through and taxing you incredibly and often they have the power the very power over your life if they want it right so imagine you're a jewish person in the first century and for generation after generation after generation your great 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 grandpa told your great 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 grandpa about this story of the exodus right they told it And down through the ages, it just becomes this kind of hum in the back of your life that this God, the God you serve, Yahweh, is an exodus-making God. And then you hear, off in the distance, a voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare, make straight the path of him. And you go, there it is, a new exodus. It's on its way. God is getting ready to do it all again, just like he said he would. He's faithful to his promise. Only the story, this story begins with, and this is what's fascinating to me about this story. Mark begins his gospel with like a kind of rumbling on the other side of the hill. It's a voice crying out. We don't see Jesus yet. We don't know what it is, but it's like, It's like when you hear the thunder before you see the lightning, right? It's like when you see the the light on the horizon before you see the sun. You know that what's coming is inevitable, but you see signs of it before it's really there. God is going to do it again, and he's going to do it through Jesus. In fact, when we get into the story of Jesus, you know what we learn? We learned that that the new exodus is not just a kind of echo of the first exodus, meaning that Jesus didn't just come to retell the story and do it one more time. Instead, the story of the first exodus was, it wasn't a precursor or a prepper, it, it 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 was a preparation for Jesus. It was actually all about the person of Jesus. Jesus is what God has been doing all along. 
Jesus is the one who leads us out of bondage to sin and death. And as Mark's gospel continues to unfold, we see more stories of the way this, that Jesus is going to do this. But here's what I want to focus on this morning. I want to focus on that idea of, that we see in verse 3, of a voice crying out. Of a voice crying out before we actually see the person of Jesus. Before we see the exodus coming. We hear it, don't we? In verse 3, again, we read this. A voice of one calling out in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight paths for him. Make straight paths for him. Now, this is obviously the quotation from the Isaiah passage, but notice that the the exodus that God is going to, to bring begins with a kind of shout, doesn't it? It begins with a shout. There is a, a precursor or an announcement or um, a groaning, you could even say, that is always preceded, it always precedes the work that God is about to do in the scriptures. And this is interesting. Uh, do you remember in the story of the first Exodus, the thing that the, the cry that is the beginning of that first exodus is the cry or the groaning of the suffering of the, the Hebrew people in slavery in Egypt. It's a cry that is kind of a precursor to the work that God is about to do. And before Jesus arrives, there's a cry, isn't there? There's a cry of one saying, prepare the way of the Lord. And John, all weird dude that he was, is out in the wilderness eating locusts and honey and baptizing people in a baptism of repentance, right? Saying something is on its way and pointing at something. And here's what I think uh, I want to say this morning about this. Uh, Do you still have that question in your mind? What is God leading you, Jesus leading you out of? You got it? You nod your head. Good. Good. If you want to know what it is that Jesus wants to lead us out of, pay attention to the cry. Pay attention to the cry that exists in your own heart. I think that's a good sign. You see, it is often pain and difficulty in our lives the things that lead to disappointment, right, that show us where it is that God wants to work. Events that, uh, even events that are devastating to us, that cause us great pain, can actually point out to us and show us what it is that Jesus wants to lead us out of. Now, this is not always fun, is it? that it is, it is precisely at the place of our pain or discomfort that Jesus wants to work. But I think it's quite true. Have you ever heard the phrase that people uh, only change when the pain of re- remaining the same exceeds the pain of transformation, right? Have you ever heard that phrase? It's, it goes something like that. You see, Jesus is always wanting to lead us out of the pain that we experience in this life. Jesus came on the scene, and what did he say? He said, peace, peace I give to you. My peace I leave to you. Right? 
take my yoke upon me, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. He's wanting to lead us away from those things that uh, cause us pain. He wants to, he wants to use the cries that we, we feel in our own heart as a, as a, as a spotlight that show us where we should move. But so often, we dig foxholes in our pain, don't we? We, like, burrow down as deep as possible. We even define our lives by our pain. Have you ever met anybody that is truly defined by their pain? And every time you meet them, you go, how are you doing? And they're like, horrible, right? Because, and then they tell you the same thing they told you for 25 years, right? We, you've, we've defined ourselves by our pain. We've, we've burrowed down in it. We've, we've encircled ourselves by it, and it's become a part of ident our identity. But the truth of the matter is, is that our pain is very often the very place that God wants to lead us out of something. The very place. It was C.S. Lewis that says this, God whispers to us in our pleasures, speaks in our conscience, but shouts in our pains. It is his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. Now, what I'm not saying here this morning is that God causes our pain or that he intentionally torments us or something in order to get our attention. I really don't think God is or can even cause bad things to occur, all right? Theologically, I just, I don't, I don't sign on to that. But he does use our pain. He does use it. Or he allows it in order for us to point something out to us. He allows it for us, in order for us to see the places where we need to change. And here's the point this morning, and I think it's on the screen. Your pain might be the spotlight showing you what Jesus wants to lead you out of. And that sounds like an oversimplification. It's, it turns out to be very difficult, right? Especially if your pain is kind of existential. Um, and there is such a thing as uh, uh, of anxiety and depression, and we should go through the process of getting the help uh, that we need. And there are chemical issues involved there, and I'm not denying any of that. But I am saying that very often the places where we experience uh, the acute nature of our lives are the very places that Jesus wants to lead us out of. Have you ever had a moment in your life where you felt like you were on the edge of burnout? I can raise my hand. I think it's happened 365 times in the last year. Uh, <laughs> I've never worn a watch, by the way. Um, that, th no, that feeling of burnout where you're like, if a stiff wind blows past me right now, uh, I might like grow out my beard and dye my hair and get on a plane and fly to Argentina uh, and just to, like change my life right? To pretend that I've changed my name or whatever. Uh, I want to submit to you this morning that that's probably a good sign <laughs> that you should actually uh, dig into, right? That's not a sign that you should buy a black market passport and go try to live in Margaritaville, right? Like, that's not what you should do. It's probably a good sign. It's probably a good sign that God wants to put his finger on that thing, isn't it? It's probably a sign that Jesus wants to lead you into freedom right where you are, right? It's, it's possible that your pain is a spotlight showing you that Jesus loves you and cares about you. 
Have you ever thought of that? That the very, the acute nature of our lives, the thing we experience as bad, could, if we're reading the Bible correctly here this morning, be the very sign that you are infinitely loved. Because it's the very thing that God wants to lead you out of. Now, that's nearly impossible to access sometimes, right? When you're in the midst of a, of a, of a troubling situation. But I'm standing firm on that ground this morning saying that that is abundantly true. And anybody who has come through a hard time, right, looks back on that hard time and goes, oh, he was there. I just wasn't aware of it in the moment. You know, whatever it is, whatever that thing is for you, whatever it is that God wants to bring you out of, whatever the cry is in your life right now, whatever the acute pain you're experiencing it is, God, Jesus, does want to lead you out of it. He does. He just does. He doesn't want you to live there. He doesn't want you to stay that way. He doesn't want you to remain broken or addicted. He just doesn't want that for you because he loves you, right? We just don't remember this stuff on a daily basis, but it's true. And that's why it's being pointed out to you. You, you know, and here's the thing, and here's what religion mistakes sometimes. The motivator, and we're back to the beginning of the message again today, the motivator for this change, the engine of this change, in a kind of religious context, we believe to be guilt and shame, right? We do this with our kids sometimes. Uh, if they do something wrong, my default reaction is to kind of uh, guilt them into behaving, right? We, we do this. This is something we naturally do. And I think because we do it so readily, we think that that's how God does things, but that's not how God, thi God does things. Jesus does want to lead you out of something. He does want to put something in the rearview mirror of your life, whether it's an emotional pain that just keeps coming up every two weeks, every two months, every four months, every six months or whether it's some addictive or controlling behavior. Maybe it's video games that you can't put down, or cable news that just kind of fills your head with anger every day, or maybe it's alcohol, or maybe it's that dang phone, right? Maybe it's the phone that's keeping you unwell. Just, sorry, just the thought. Um, I'm not mad at the phone at all, guys. I'm don't, I don't bear any ill will towards my cell phone. When Jesus performs an exodus for us, and here's my point, when Jesus performs an exodus for us, when he leads us out, he does not do it with guilt and shame. You know how he does it? With love. With love and grace. Love is the leader in the exodus that Jesus wants to make for each and every one of us. And so often we choose to stay in our pain because we think that God is motivated by a desire for our right behavior, and he's going to use guilt and shame in order to get us there. But God doesn't do it that way. We do things that way. God is motivated by love. And though our pain seems in the moment like it is preferable to the light, that is a lie. That is a lie. Jesus will always lead you with love. And if you don't feel like you're being led with love, guess what? It ain't him. 
Grace is the engine of our transformation. Not guilt, not shame, not a fear of punishment. God's great work of exodus. And here's where we land the plane this morning. Always looks like the cross, doesn't it? Because that was. God's great work of exodus finds its fulfillment in the cross of Jesus. God in Christ wanting us to be free so badly that he's willing to step into our pain with us, to bear our pain for us, to stand in under the weight of all of the world's pains and dysfunctions and difficulties and hurts in order that we might experience an exodus in our own lives. He bears it all for us. He stands next to us as a brother waiting for us to follow him. So we're going to come to the question one more time. What is Jesus leading you out of? Would you stand with me this morning? And just, just in an attitude of prayer this morning, with every head bowed and every eye closed, I just want you to ask yourself that question, wherever you are. What, what pain am I experiencing in my life that might be a spotlight on the thing that Jesus wants to lead me out of in this season? What is that? And just in the quiet of your, quietness of your hearts, if you just ask that question of the Lord. Let's pray together. Father, we love you. And God, we thank you that you are a God of the exodus, that that is fundamental to your character in this world. And we pray, God, that you would give us the bravery, right? The bravery, the gumption to step into this process of whatever exodus you want to create in our own lives. Jesus, we pray that you would help us to follow you into freedom. Whatever that area is, whether it's anger, whether it's insecurity, whether it's some controlling or addictive behavior, whether it's um, whatever it is, God, would you give us um, a level of faith and trust in your goodness and your love that we could walk that out? And if you're with me in this place, would you just do this simple gesture that we do at Grace Community from time to time, would you just put your hands like this? And symbolically, whatever it is that God has put on your heart, maybe, you're, maybe you don't know exactly what Jesus leads you out of, but you're like, I got a lot of pains. Just in an attitude of prayer, would you just see in your mind's eye, you're offering that thing up to God, all right, wherever you are, and just say, Jesus, lead me. Can we just say that together? Jesus, lead me. Let's say it one more time. Jesus, lead me. Jesus, would you lead us wherever it is you want to go into the freedom you want us to have? Would you be our Lord? Would you be our God? Would you be our guide in this great exodus you have accomplished for each and every one of us on the cross and you're going to continue to accomplish in each and every one of our lives? And may uh, the name and the power of Jesus seal that simple prayer. Jesus, lead me. Jesus, lead me. Amen and amen and amen.
All right. We ended? Good, good. And so here's just one encouragement today. Whatever it is, lean into that thing. This season for me, this season that is traditionally called Lent, is always a season where God kind of does some of that work. He digs some stuff up in my heart. And just last night, I was watching old videos of my kids when they were little, because um, that's what parents do now. They just go back through their old cell phone videos and look at pictures of their kids and show their spouse. Look how cute this child was. Uh, and uh, I had this subtle sense that two things. One, that uh, I need to keep that picture of my children in my heart and in my mind when I parent them. But two, I just had this subtle sense of God was like, that's how I see you. That's how I see you. That's how I see you. And he sees you like that. And he loves you like that. And he wants to lead you like that. And so uh, as we go throughout this week and as we head towards the resurrection, this big, joyous, good thing called the resurrection, would you keep that in mind? And over the next couple of weeks, we'll do, the, do the excavation work of finding out what that thing is. And God, I promise, will be with you. He'll be with you. All right? All right. You can say okay. All right. Go today in the grace and in the peace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.